Hi guys, welcome to the Revive Stronger podcast. I am your host as always, Steve Hall, and I am welcomed today by Joe Bennett, aka the Hypertrophy Coach. Hopefully some of you are already aware of Joe. Uh, I imagine some of you aren't, uh, but I am really happy to have him on the podcast today. I've probably been somewhat following Joe for like the last year. Um, I wouldn't say I know your methods inside and out. Uh, I don't know everything about what Joe has to say. And that is part of the reason I wanted to bring him on because I am very much interested by the information that he brings out uh, online. And I think you guys will really benefit from a little bit of a discussion, a little bit of a kind of intro to Joe, his mentality. Uh, He speaks very, very clearly and well. So a little bit of background about Joe, so you know who he is. Um, Hypertrophy coach, kind of as a twist to the strength coach, which I really liked. Uh, He has a BS in exercise science. He is a competitive bodybuilder himself. Uh, He is absolutely jacked, if you can't tell from kind of him just sitting there as a a big lump. He is a husband and father. um, And some cool things he does that I've seen is like training with Dax the Destroyer, uh, Dave Bassist. Batista um so really cool stuff there and um yeah just thank you for coming on and if there's anything else you kind of want to touch on there in terms of intro please go ahead oh sure yeah man I'm really happy to happy to be on happy to have me um yeah I mean that's uh you know just for anybody that's kind of wondering my background a little bit too you kind of touched on a lot of the stuff I'm doing now um you know I I joke that I've been been in the industry for for a while uh you know and I kind of got my start uh, training people actually in college University of Florida had a program where you could actually do some personal training, basically just on college population. And then really, I just did the vast majority of my work uh, near 10 years kind of training in like a big box uh, type gym, you know, so for anybody that's uh, the trainers out there kind of cutting it, you know, in the big clubs, um, that's kind of where I started uh, and did a few years of that and then did a good uh, five, six, seven years actually managing training departments, you know, so my my first area of you know, kind of expertise was learning, you know, a lot of the business components of training, um, you know, so that's really where I kind of started. And then somewhere circa probably 2010, um, you know, I really got into kind of continuing education with a lot of Paul Quinn courses. Uh, so I kind of got really, really deep into kind of taking everything that he had to offer, you know, so kind of got, uh, I got into his and he's was much more of kind of obviously the strength coach type realm. Mm. And a lot of stuff, which is great crossover, because he's one of the few people that had very good applicable stuff um, from a nutrition supplementation kind of functional medicine standpoint. Um, I think it actually crossed over not just to strength athletes, but physique athletes. And he just kind of had an interest in bodybuilding as well, too, to a certain extent. Um, And then it was kind of through that where I realized I actually didn't like training athlete athletes as much, like actually from a traditional sport performance athletes. Uh, and I just kind of loved bodybuilding since I was 14, 15 or so. And it's one of those things where if there's something you like to do, I didn't really know, um, you know, when I started training and training in clubs, I would just try and train more competitors and bodybuilders like in the gym. Um, and it was just through that that I kind of really got into bodybuilding and just continued a lot of education through there. So I did a ton of Paulquin stuff, a ton of uh, uh, RTS, resistance training specialist stuff, and, and did a whole bunch of other stuff from there. Um, and then just through really late in the game. It's funny. A lot of people, obviously people have some awareness of me now because of social media, which is awesome. And I'm grateful for, but I joke, I didn't really even start social media until maybe three years ago. I mean, I literally had to, I feel like it's like me showing my grandparents how to use like a cell phone now or something. Like that's what it was like for me literally three years ago. Like, here's what Instagram is. Like, here's how it works. Like, here's how you, whatever. Uh, It's one of those things I honestly just kind of kept getting pushed to do. And, um, you know, so I got pushed to do that and just started putting out content. I always liked writing. Uh, I've always had public speaking. It's been a component of, I honestly like public speaking since high school and stuff. So it just kind of worked out where it's like, well, here's a nice 
you know, avenue to kind of do those things. You'd like to write, you don't mind writing, you don't mind speaking and just kind of speak to my area of expertise. Uh, so it just kind of clicked. I liked, I just kind of had an idea of what I wanted to start doing and just started doing it. Uh, the thing I think is funny now is uh, when I started doing it, I had a bunch of people, not in a negative way, being like, man, like you can't, you can't write posts that long. Like nobody's going to read that. <laughs> and uh, my joke was, I'm like, well, that's how I like to write. It just comes out. And my other joke was, I was like, well, I just like to write as long as my wife likes it. Like that's what I, <laughs> I count on. And so literally still to this day, I'll do a post and I'll like, if I'm not by her, I'll be like, I'll text her or call her. I'll be like, Hey, did you read that post? You think it was funny? <laughs> and that, that was, that was basically my only proofreading I had at any point in time from a content standpoint. And same with everything. I've been, I've been really lucky, really blessed with that. People wanted me to do social media, push me into it. People seem to like it, which is great. Uh, people wanted me to have avenues of more content. So, you know, started doing the website. Um, I'm actually finally going to start kicking up my YouTube page a little bit more just to have more, more areas for more content. So that was a nice thing with all of it is like, that's a funny thing. I have a lot of people have questions about like, well, how do you, how do you get started with this? Or how do you get started with that? Or how do you make Instagram successful? Or how do you make this successful or whatever? And I'm like, well, I just, you know, it seems novel now, but I'm like, I had 10 years worth of uh, experience and education first. And so I never really thought about how do I make Instagram successful or how do I make a website successful? I just tried to be a good trainer first. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then from there, it's just, if I always tell people, I'm like, if you're a good trainer, you don't have to think at all about it, what your content is. Like literally just put a camera on and talk about what you did with a client that day. Talk about what you did yourself that day. And it should be relatively easy. It's when people are trying to be Instagram successful or, you know, website successful without actually having content, then you're going to be constantly struggling to figure out what you're going to do. So, um, yeah, anyway, that's just kind of my little add to the background as well, too. A lot of people don't know. Um, how much time I spent, you know, working with uh, general population, working with a lot of broken people, any trainer out there that gets some some decent certs and stuff, you know that whether you like it or not, you, you tend to get a lot of broken people as well, too, just because you're like, oh, that guy's not an idiot. <laughs> so that's your qualification for getting broken people. So a lot of time spent doing that. And it really was out of passion that I kind of just um, started working with a lot more competitors and a lot more bodybuilders and people that just want to take their physique kind of to, to the extreme. So like Dave's an example of that as well, too. So. Yeah. So yeah, that's kind of kind of where I'm at now, and you know. No, I think it's great to hear it because I think a lot of people do see the tip of the iceberg, but they see the the guy shredded on stage, and they don't realize all the like, let alone the prep before that, but all the years of hard graft they've had to have done to get to a position to have a physique worth stage worthy. So just like you've worked with people from all sorts, and you've had a like years in the field and learning, uh, it's great to hear that because I think people need to be reminded of it sometimes. Um, Yeah, for sure. So something I wanted to touch on with you was. I watched one of your videos on Instagram, which I thought was really interesting because you kind of explained something in a really nice way to do with your approach um, for Mm -hmm. hypertrophy specifically as some of you kind of have coined you as maybe a low volume person, um, like Joe Bennett does low volume training. And you kind of Mm -hmm. talked about how your focus is to get results. You're all about execution and effort uh, as kind of the foundations before then you progress from there. So I'd love you to kind of expand upon those points. What does execution really mean? Because I think people are like, oh, I can lift and they take it maybe for granted or effort again, they, they think they work hard and I'd love to hear you expand upon kind of execution and effort. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, so it's one of those things, I think the thing that gets lost in the weeds a little bit and where I can tend to kind of get stereotyped or lose some people sometimes is, uh, you know, I, I can't help but like my brain and my head is where I'm at now having lifted for near 20 years. Um, you know, so my advice 
is always geared towards like you don't people don't need more in my opinion articles of like you know from a bodybuilding standpoint like you know i spent a decade of reading every flex and muscular development and this and that and it's like okay well if you need more upper chest do more incline or put incline barbell first or whatever so you know my my target in general is um is always geared towards people that are a little further down the road and just kind of kind of need a higher standard or, or basically a higher maybe maybe a little bit more strict principles that they adhere to to keep producing results and because I, I don't think what I do is that crazy or different than what everybody kind of has is some degree of common sense um, mm-hmm. and all I mean by that is um you know if, if I look at when I say execution everybody kind of inherently knows or some people except for the the least self-aware people that if you're trying to change your physique the goal is to make things as hard as possible on yourself you know so if I if I tend to dig in a little deeper or some things is my qualifications to make things as hard as possible where they should be might be a little bit more strict uh, than the average person and where that's where it's get different if if I'm working with someone that's you know like Flex Lewis or somebody that's been doing this for 20 years I, some of that might have a lot of value for him because I don't need to tell him what hard training feels like. I don't need to tell him that it should all be in his muscle and shouldn't be in his joints. I can just kind of impose some of these rules that he might not have heard before, basically, you know, make him be a little bit slower. Well, okay, well, this is why this exercise is harder here, or this is why I prefer this variation to that variation, because it's all the same rules. It's maybe just a little bit further than all the information that he's already heard, you know, multiple times. Um, and like I said, that kind of stuff's inherent where it's like, okay, now if I was working with someone that's 20 years old, they've only been training for two or three years. It might be some of the stuff that everybody else does. I'm not necessarily jumping right into like, right. okay, we're going to do all this and all that. It might be literally a thing. It's, I joke, it's the guy that's, you know, 18 years old. that has got five plates on the bar and doing quarter squats. People will look at that. And if they say, well, that's not good or they make fun of them or whatever it is, that's the exact same thing that I do. That's just another variation. People inherently know that's not ideal. <laughs> to change your physique and they know because like I said the squats a perfect example all that comes down every hears me talk about moment arms and torque and all that that's the example of a squat is everyone kind of knows the bottom's the hard part well that's because of moment arms that's because of torque the weight never changes so people have these guidelines in their brain already again the only difference is mine might be a little bit further down the road you know depending on who I'm working with and so that's the tough part with Instagram is you know you're speaking to however many people could be could be reading it or could be watching it you know, and I try, uh, obviously to speak, um, I, you know, the whole point is if it's not understandable, if it's not relatable or if applicable, no one's going to do anything with it. So I try and make things, you know, understandable and applicable at the same time. I joke that, you know, I say this as a lovingly, like I attract the nerds because I'm a nerd. Mm-hmm. And if I don't use an appropriate term from time to time, people are like, well, that's not this, or that's <laughs> not that, you know, and I'm like, you know, so sometimes when I throw on the word, like people really just like, again, if I say something about moment arm or torque or whatever it is, lines of force, people are like, oh, you're trying to get all technical, this and that. And I'm like, well, I'm just trying to be accurate, you know, and, and again, someone's going to think I'm being overly technical if I actually use the right term. Someone's going to call me an idiot if I just use another term that people understand. So and that's not a big deal. That's just the nature of you're not speaking to one person at a time. You know, somebody's always going to take it one way. Somebody's always going to take it the other way. Um, so that's it, depending on where you're at. I mean, every, I've never had someone ever come to me in a session of thousands and thousands of people and not have somewhere that their execution can improve. And again, just somewhere along that curve, it could be more beginner stuff. It could be more advanced stuff. And then again, that just depends on where they're at. And then the effort thing, um, it's the same thing. I've never seen someone whose effort couldn't improve. And that's where those two things kind of come together. Where again, if I took that person, you know, that's quarter repping, you know, 500 pounds on their back or whatever it is, 
you know, they, they, they have an idea of what load feels like that still feels horrible on your back. You know, they don't have an idea of what load combined with execution feels like, you know, so if I put somebody in both of those things, that's, that's a learned type of effort you have to train through. And I've, I've trained people that are brutally strong or have crazy endurance or whatever it is, but they've never maybe been exposed to both of those things, you know, pushed to the highest level. And again, I, most people have a good mindset, the same as I do, where it's like, you know, at some point in time, you let go of the ego just a little bit, just enough to realize, okay, well, if I can actually do this or do that, that's an opportunity to improve. It's not necessarily, I'm saying, oh, you're bad. You know, you're doing this wrong or whatever. I'm like, well, here's this, take it. You know, if it makes sense to you, if you feel it the way that you know, you should feel it and don't feel it where you don't want to feel it, then that's that. And, um, you know, so that's kind of really those things. And again, there's a whole lot of stuff in between there, but it, it really, that's my, that's my start one. If I can, if I try and put out content or a message to everybody, you know, it's hopefully just a mindset, you know, and if I can tell everybody like, look, if you just understand that, something as far as execution or form or the way you're doing things can be improved upon either to make it more challenging where it should be or not breaking stuff where it should be. Um, that's step one. And then two, knowing that you can take it further. I mean, everybody can take things further. And that's when I literally like the, the kind of, I guess, coming into more of a low volume guy came from having worked with so many people. And when I put those things together on people, you know, actually making them, cause I get both, I get someone that comes in and they have this great execution and they're very proud of themselves, but I see they've never put themselves even past, you know, remotely where they're capable of going. And I'll take those execution people and actually, you know, I'll see I'm putting plates on the bar, plates on the bar and it starts to look like deer in the headlights. And, um, and when they actually have to, you know, take their effort past where things are perfect and pretty, maybe even on those, those last couple of reps that, you know, realizing that's their opportunity as well too. And, um, so yeah, that's those, uh, those things is, uh, you know, those things can always be improved upon. You can always kind of take it somewhere else. And again, it just depends kind of on the individual what what that's actually going to end up looking like. You know? mm-hmm. I love that response and I love the kind of almost the caveat a little bit that who you're talking to makes a difference in terms of what yeah. you're saying. Um, but I think a lot of the things you said, I mean, I think we all know that person in the gym with the prettiest form, but they don't yeah. kind of grunt or make any sort of change in their facial expression at all because they haven't yeah. got the effort there. And then we equally know that person who is swinging the weights around with the most amount of effort probably goes to yeah. complete an out and out failure and past it, but isn't recruiting the muscles that they want to. And you're kind of yeah. saying, why not combine those two, get them both right? Most people are a bit off on each and then move yeah. forward with that. And I know for yeah. myself personally, like when I've focused on getting those bit more perfected, it's led to less yeah. sets where kind of I yeah. wasn't really focused and I didn't have the intent there and less sets where I'm just going through the motions to just wing it. And that does lead to a lower volume approach. And then you kind of dose it, I guess, once you've got those checked off, you dose it to recovery. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that's pretty much it. I mean, if I really think about, you know, everybody that I've seen and some people that I've worked with that have amazing execution and have great effort, you know, especially above and beyond the average population, then I always say there too, like people, this is where, again, it's messages kind of get to take that out of place. A lot of people be like, you know, I'm following your program or I did this workout, but like, is it okay if I do, you know, three sets instead of two? Is it okay if I do four sets instead of whatever? And I'm like, are you like asking my permission or are you asking is like something bad's going to happen? And, um, and I always say, I was like, look, I just, based on, I'm always just telling people what I think is the honest answer. Like, I would really like to just give them a one word answer, be like, yeah, have at it. You know, that, that's it. But the reality is I still got to put that little asterisk there. This is why I have these long ass captions is I'm trying to really qualify things that I say. I say, well, to be honest, assuming you're like every other person I've ever seen, which is quite a lot, 
I would still try and take those sets further first. You know, I, I can almost guarantee the person asking the question, if I worked with them in person, I'd find somewhere we could take that set further first. And, um, and I said, but if you really think you're there, then have at it. I, I don't really know how much volume someone needs. And obviously there's a lot of research and stuff, depending, obviously, if you, especially if you qualify the combination of load, you know, and reps as volume. Yes. Over time, you have to increase volume, you know, to keep getting the response that you're looking for. So I, and I say, I honestly don't know, you know, I've found, I've seen a couple people from my experience that seem to need more volume, but it's literally like mm -hmm. a handful of people. And, um, so I'm like, they're out there. Uh, again, I just don't really know necessarily, you know, if that's going to be that individual. And especially when you combine all the other factors where, I mean, most people, their sleep is shit. The recovery is mediocre. You know, life stress is high. Um, you know, it's like, again, the people that I've seen that need more volume are normally like in the sport, like a physique sport, where again, their, their day and their life kind of revolves yeah. around training and recovery. And it's like, okay, well, that makes a lot of sense. That person could probably tolerate more than the average person. I think most people asking the question have jobs and family and sleep is kind of like last thing on the list. And it's like, I just don't really think, you know, more acute stress is going to be the thing that you're really lacking at this point in time necessarily, you know? And I guess when you're talking to and working with mainly more advanced trainees, the kind of disruption they cause with like number, like one or two sets can be quite a lot versus someone kind of who is more novice as well. So that makes yeah. sense. Um, yeah. Something I was interested in is kind of, I don't know, you talked about the research a bit and there's obviously research, I think like Eric Helms, Mike Tushur to kind of popularize obviously RPE and things like this. Mm -hmm. Is that yeah. something you've ever utilized within your training practice? Is there anything you ever kind of trialed? To be honest, not a whole lot. Mm -hmm. um, and again, it's one of those things you know, again, you just kind of get in your groove of who your population is and who you work with. And uh, so it's one of those things where I think a lot of people, when you're writing programs and you have these methodologies at the end of the day, and obviously they have a lot of experience working one-on-one -on -one as well too. Um, you know, you have to think what's going to provide the most benefit to the most people. Um, so a lot of it makes sense to me. Uh, again, it's just my, and this is the tough part with, my my area of expertise really stems from one-on-one -on -one training, you know, one-on-one -on -one in person. And so I always just kind of go back to what I've seen. And even the people I've been lucky enough to, from that initial exposure, you know, onto someone that maybe turned into a client for a year or for three years or for five years, you know, I just kind of keep coming back to those, those same tools that I use. Um, you know, so it's one of those things that because I haven't put the time and effort into really implementing it, um, you know, I'm not going to speak to it as much, but I understand where it's coming from. And again, it comes back to the same thing. You know, you're regulating, you're regulating stress, you know, you're regulating what can really a person tolerate over various periods of time. And again, you're regulating volume. Uh, and from like, kind of like you said, is like, what can someone induce, you know, within a set relative to their level of execution, you know, their level of load that they're using, you know, sometimes it's like, well, the, the general, the vast majority of people will really benefit from a program like that because again, what are we doing within one set? You know, again, might be different from the average person to maybe who I tend to work with a lot. And that's what, I mean, I guess what I try and turn, what I try and turn my, if I get someone that's relatively new, you know, and I get them on, you know, day one and a session one, my goal is to turn them into that, that all-star alpha athlete, whatever you want to call it, where again, they're capable of taking their execution and their effort you know, further than 99.9% .9 of the population. And then from there, it's like, I'm not, I always try and tell people as much as I'm capable of, I'm, I'm not attached to anything. I mean, people would be, 
maybe surprised when I have somebody come into a come in the door. My approach from a first session has changed a lot over the last few years as far as you know, I always want to know where someone's at and then work within that where it's like the goal isn't I ever come to someone and be like, okay, well, here's my favorite movements. Here's the way that we do things, you know, jump into my system. It, it comes with where are they at? What have they been doing? What are the things that they like the most or they see the most benefit from? And starting from those things first. And then when I really get a feel for how they respond to volume and, and how far and how hard I can push somebody, everyone's so different, you know? So it's, I, I have, I have, even if I have something that I back in my mind has worked for 99 out of a hundred people, that doesn't mean anything for that one person that it didn't work well for, you know? So when I come in with anybody, there's people that, that just, that approach trying to get them to what I can get out of a set first doesn't quite work where there is technically a lot of, I might have someone for weeks where it's a lot of submaximal work where I actually am accumulating more volume of things, submaximal, but in my opinion, things that look perfect and can still have an adaptive response that I want based on that as well too. So um, you know, I see where obviously people have put a lot of thought and have, you know, very good concepts and principles, you know, behind systems like that. And obviously they produce benefit and results, but I guess it's kind of, um, whether it's good or bad, you kind of put your stock where you've, you've actually got the most actual experience and seen the most results. But, but it seems like something basically like maybe a different, not as like that example I just gave is a different, not as accurate version of, you know, using something like mm -hmm. that to a certain extent. So um, yeah, I mean, there's very, very rarely do I see people and I'm like, even if it's seemingly opposing from my, um, from my methods or whatever that means, uh, you know, if, if something's built on sound principles and concepts, and then most importantly, it produces results, it's like, well, no, something's happening, <laughs> you know, it's something to obviously stick with. So, yeah, I think a lot of people, um, get caught up in chasing optimal, which I always say is like a pie in the sky thing. You're always hopefully trying to move towards it, but you, you, to think that you found the most optimal approach is kind yeah. of like ignorant because you, you can't ever really know. And we're still, we're getting yeah. better and better research. Uh, but mm -hmm. like you said, years of experience of like good coaches is really important. And like you said as well, like you've got results, so you don't want to stray too far from that and you utilize other concepts for different people. Like you said, you're open-minded. Um, I think that's really important for the audience to hear because I think a lot of like experts who I interview on the podcast get kind of uh, put into a category of you do this way, you do it this way, yeah. you completely oppose. Whereas when you actually draw it back and a lot of the time, if I have round tables and whenever I talk to you guys, it's very much a case of we all utilize the principles, our methods just maybe yeah. look a little bit different. And a lot of the time yeah. it's down to your personal experience and who you're working with specifically. So no, I yeah. think that was a great answer. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And that's definitely, I mean, you kind of hit it on nail on the head a little bit that too is I think that's, you know, one of the beauties of social media and, um, and then me being lucky to have connected with so many different people and within the industry as well too, is yeah, you, with the rare, rare, rare exception, you, you don't get people that, like you said, even if, you know, you'll meet somebody that's seemingly the research guy and then you'll see people, you know, the research guy, you know, I'll kind of follow these people and watch these people and, and you keep, if they're intelligent, and if they see the bigger picture, they'll be like, yeah, I'm the research guy, but it still has to, they're still in the trenches. Does it actually produce results? And then the same people that are in the trenches with rare exception, even if they, you know, they kind of built their background and stuff from, you know, first was maybe two year to uh, two decades, just training before they actually even opened a book or went to a course or took a seminar, you know, once they kind of open their mind to like, okay, well, I have to have some principles, you know, to see, okay, well, here's why this worked. Here's why that didn't work. Everybody kind of comes full circle to at least to some degree meet somewhere in the middle. And that's what I think is the, is kind of a trademark of coaches that are actually producing results and have been for a while 
it's, I think the big thing is just not to be too emotionally attached to stuff. Yeah. And uh, whether, whether you're having conversations with people, I don't think, you know, if you're talking to people that are seemingly posing, you're never going to have this conversation and someone's going to pull a complete 180. But those are the things that I think slowly over time, you know, might shift the way you do things a little bit. And I think that's how I think higher level coaches are, are generally moving is generally shifting, you know, one direction, you know, or the other. And, um, and so I think that's the, that's the big thing. The people that don't progress or don't grow or are unwilling to shift are the ones that are just emotional. They're just really attached to their stuff. It's probably something more important for them than my training methodology is to me. And um, then that's when we get people that are defensive and combative and argumentative, which mm -hmm. at the end of the day, I mean, you just have to be realistic too. If you're, if you're defensive and combative with anybody in online or the social media world, you're not actually changing anything. Like no one's ever, no one's ever won an argument online, you know? So it's like, I mean, and that's the reality. So if you're, if you're arguing or sometimes things like that, it's like, what are you really doing that for? Um, and I'm not saying I'm completely above that. I mean, to be honest, every once in a while, I'll, I'll respond to a comment from someone, but I honestly, most of the time I'm responding for my own entertainment where it's like, mm -hmm. well, I'm going to answer this person. Um, or the only time I ever really get upset is if I have someone the only time I'll ever actually block someone or all that kind of stuff is if someone insults, you know, a friend or an athlete that I'm working with. That's just, um, I just don't need that negativity for that person. You know, I'm, I'm putting this person up on my page or my site. And I'm like, I'm not to do it for them to have more negativity or more exposure for anything like that. But aside from that, some of it's just, you gotta, you gotta let it be. If somebody's arguing or posting something negative, they've already let you know where they're at. And yeah. that's not going to change from, you know, a clever comment or a paragraph or two paragraphs written back to them. So. No, brilliantly put. And I think, yeah, it's just, when you become dogmatic, that's when you've gone wrong. Uh, so sure. that that's brilliant. I'm glad that you've kind of explained that. And it's, it's clear you're very open-minded. So that's awesome. And, and the other thing I wanted to touch on in this podcast, I think that kind of execution and effort, I I think that needs to be in a lot of people's minds a lot of the time. I think it gets lost very often. So I love that you are very, very big on that. And then the other thing was kind of strength curves. I think that's something yeah. you've definitely popularized I kind of introduce new ways of thinking about exercises, thinking about lifts. I think a lot of people just go in there and they, they don't really have any awareness of this. So I'd love to yeah. hear kind of you expand upon kind of uh, strength curves, exercise profiles, what yeah. that might mean for someone and what we need to think about as trainees, what's practical. For sure. Um, you know, I think it's, uh, you know, I always say first and foremost, to give credit where credit's due, the 95% of my information on comprehension of, you know, uh, exercises and machines, you know, they have strength profiles and, or excuse me, they have resistance profiles and people have strength curves or strength profiles. Um, and it's about trying to match those two as much as possible. And all my information on that really came from resistance training specialist certification. And I've been lucky. The only person I've ever had teaching me that kind of stuff is Tom Purvis, the guy that created the course. And the reason I think that I've had, I guess it seems somewhat novel, to cross over into the bodybuilding world is again, that's a nerd course, which again, I say, um, you know, I say with a term of endearment, but, um, so even if you look at Tom and he still trains people, a pretty good amount of clients on a daily basis, despite how much other stuff he's got going on, he trains all the broken people. I mean, literally like the broken of the broken people. And, and it's awesome to actually watch him train. That's one of my favorite things to go and learn from him is he'll let you fall around a session, just whoever he's got that day, kind of at the end of the course or whatever it is. Uh, and to see his approach, just his application to all of it, it's like, oh, gosh, it's like here's all this stuff coming together where a lot of people miss it. But the interesting thing is he's got a bodybuilding background. I mean, he was deep in the bodybuilding world in the 70s and 80s and a very good bodybuilder himself. And so kind of went the same path that I think a lot of good 
I don't want to put myself in this category, but other like smart bodybuilders kind of go is they make a lot of mistakes and they injure themselves a lot and they kind of progress and grow out of that. Um, And so that's kind of where his background was as well, too. He was always thinking, but he still got caught and you have to do all this stuff you have to do in a bodybuilding world and did it and hurt himself and got jacked along the way. And, um, you know, and then kind of came full circle with, okay, well, let's let's kind of weed through that. What was actually good? Why did it work? And all that kind of stuff. And so um, a term that I got from him or the quickest and best way to explain it, you know, I'm not going to try and redo the way that say it is everybody in the bodybuilding world knows that, um, well, two things everybody should know is that um, how much force a muscle can produce. And again, pretty much people use that synonymous with tension and where that can get confusing is if you literally imagine a bone to bone, you know, a muscle attaches to one bone and to one bone. If you could put little scales on the end of each of those muscles and measure how hard is it pulling, having that number as high as possible seems to be the most important catalyst that will lead to hypertrophy. And that's one of the few things, even if the research people you kind of get into even more than muscular damage is the stress from the load. Say if we produce maximal load and then there's obviously some time frames with how long are we doing it for and all that kind of stuff, which is a whole lot. It's, I don't think there's a whole lot of uh, concrete information out there in, in my opinion on what's important there, but that maximum load is the most important thing. And then even from there, maybe muscle damage. And then from there, maybe from that maximal load, the metabolic byproducts of that, all that stuff, that seems to be something everybody kind of agrees upon. This mm-hmm. is the most important, maybe this, eh, maybe this to a certain degree, yeah. which I would say I've kind of seen backed up with a results standpoint as well, too. So that's one thing everyone seems to agree upon. The thing that people in the bodybuilding world or physique development world agree upon, but I think kind of get half right, is that you need full range of motion. Everybody knows it's like, okay, and where people get confused is like, well, do I need it? People say you need full range of motion for an exercise, which is where things get confusing. I would agree that at some point you need to take a muscle through its full contractile range of motion, which is completely different than taking a muscle, especially the trained muscle, or an exercise through the full range of motion. Um, so those are things that to some degree everybody agrees upon. And the things where I really put them together and RTS kind of put it together concisely is you need full range of motion, but you need that accompanied with appropriate load challenge. Um, and so that's really, that's the simplified version of profiles matching. Right. Um, and, a, and a pretty easy example I give is, is the lateral raise. Um, whereas if, again, anyone doing a lateral raise inherently knows the top is the hard part. Yeah, and I, I look at that in and of itself is not the single most efficient exercise. Like if you're going to go through a full 90 degrees range of motion at the shoulder joint, everyone kind of, this is why these exercises have been created. This is why partials in that exercise are popular. People know basically, okay, I can use a 30 pound dumbbell and actually use my muscles for this top half, or I have to hold on to an 80 pound dumbbell and just kind of, you know, move it in this bottom half range of motion. So really everybody kind of knows, well, this is really, I've got one load for here and I've got one load for here. And basically what ends up happening, if you want to train that whole range of motion, that full range of motion appropriately, you've got to select two loads. Um, And the reality is my pain is like, well, if I can do it with one exercise, wouldn't I rather do that? So really those profiles matching comes back to efficiency. It's like, how are you going to use your volume? And I just think it's common sense that if I can achieve the same result with less volume, that's going to be beneficial in every standpoint, literally from a, you know, you've got to be in a calorie surplus standpoint to grow. So if I can expend less calories to have that catalyst, isn't that a good thing? And then everybody knows whether your exercise selection is perfect or very imperfect volume eventually is what causes problems. So it's eventually the things that causes 
all the byproducts of a lot of metabolic stress. You know, so if you're having anyone, whether you're enhanced or a natural athlete, you're having, you know, liver or kidney side effects, or you're having these side effects on what's occurring with your CNS potentially. Um, and when it comes to a, an orthopedic issue, you know, so when do you start to have joint problems and all that kind of stuff, it's all a result of volume. Um, so again, that's really all that it comes down to is if we really look at exercises, where are they, where are they perceivably challenging? Where are they perceivably easy? And, uh, and let's try and make sure the load matches that. And, uh, so lateral raise is one example. That's why if anybody follows my stuff, I'm a fan of, um, one, if you had a great lateral raise machine, but two, if you had a, a can use a cable mm-hmm. or because of the way that cables move relative distance to the joint, as you go through the range of motion, I can make that exact same motion, 90 degrees. I can use a load at the bottom that's extremely heavy. And when I say load really comes back to torque at the joint, maybe gets a little bit lighter at the top, but is actually the entire, now it's that same range of motion for 90 degrees. I've got one exercise and through that entire range, I can have a load that's challenging. And again, all that means is if I'm choosing to go ahead, it seems like motion is required. Concentric and eccentric seem to be the best way to actually produce hypertrophy. Mm-hmm. If I'm going to choose to go through this range of motion for concentric and eccentrics, shouldn't I choose to have a load that's challenging the whole time? Because um, otherwise it's like, well, what are you, you're basically taking a break the rest of the time. And that's one of the reasons why I say, you know, when people are saying, oh, this amount of time under tension or this rep range and all that kind of stuff is important. I don't think there's any actual good research validating that because at best they could say, uh, you know, an exercise partic- a, a participant did this exercise for 40 seconds. You know, so even if they're doing this exercise for 40 seconds and that seemed to be ideal, you'd actually have to look at the trained muscle and say, well, how much of that uh, time was it actually producing any force or tension? How much of it was max force or tension production? How much of it was submaximal? How much of it was completely relaxed? And if you really look at a muscle's, you know, maximum force production, you know, maybe out of that 40 seconds, it was actually only at that for eight seconds, which is probably pretty realistic if you look at the average gym goer, even the trained mm-hmm. population, which is generally college students that they use. I mean, I've trained in a lot of college gyms and there's not a lot of beautiful execution occurring in there. Um, and so just a couple other examples, the same as that, that's the thing with the squat is that's why people can quarter or half rep, uh, you know, weight that's tremendous yeah. and why if they actually went all the way to the bottom, you'd probably have to cut it in a half or cut it in a third. People don't like uh, the whole moment arm or lines of force and all that kind of stuff, but a squat's a pretty easy example to think where if you, the thing, the weight on your back never changes. So literally how much force is on your body never changes. But as you drop to a bottom of a squat, basically if you look at that bar path, your hips get further away, your knees get further away. That horizontal distance is the moment arm. So really I always say when you're coming to a joint, how much torque it has to handle is the thing that your muscles have to respond to. And that's always a combination of weight and moment arms. So it's, even though moment arms is again, this term that just kind of turned into something overly technical and people just kind of glaze over or black out. When I say that term, it's like, you should have some awareness of that because as far as a bodybuilding thing goes, it's equally important to load. Uh, and that's the reason that, you know, if you drop to the bottom of a squat, you know, you can tolerate a third of the load because it might be three times the distance, mm-hmm. you know, from, uh, the bar path, that joint is three times distance from the bar path. It might've been towards the top. And so that's an argument for, you know, like accommodating resistance. Well, why wouldn't I do from a sheer bodybuilding standpoint, why wouldn't I do a squat where I can make it three times heavier at the top and the load I can actually appropriately tolerate at the bottom. Um, and again, it just comes back to efficiency. If you really actually measured your quadriceps or your glutes and they're near max bone to bone pull through that entire range of motion, would I rather have them at that point, maybe just the bottom six inches or through the full, maybe two feet excursion that they might go 
Uh, and again, if it's two feet of that range of motion we're choosing to do, uh, again, I think, well, would you rather just have that kind of the top, you know, two thirds just going through the motions um, or have appropriate load within that range as well, too? And so those are just a couple examples where, you know, if I have that principle that I think is really, really important, this is when you kind of have people that kind of mix up. And it's that's my whole thing is when people are dogmatic with what's always worked and what's old school is that what always works sometimes worked and then sometimes it didn't. And again, it's like, well, who did it always work with? We always look at the genetic elite of every yeah. population. We look at these tremendous strength athletes from the 70s and are like, well, look at this guy's delts and look at his triceps. So you could over, overhead press, you know, 400 pounds. And well, that's what you have to do if you want those. And it's like, well, we don't know that he couldn't have done that with another exercise or whatever. And the same within the bodybuilding world and all of those things. Where we, let's just take a step back. Let's look on these principles that seem to make a lot of sense. Let's apply it to those exercises that seemingly everyone has to do. And that's why you'll kind of find that sometimes it is those and sometimes, in my opinion, maybe it's not those things. Uh, and that's why I think that kind of stuff is important because people will watch some of my stuff too. You'll have the nerds and be like, well, how can you, you know, how can you be an advocate of heavy pressing with dumbbells and barbells? But, you know, you'd rather use a machine in this place. And it's because I'm not an advocate of any specific tool. I'm an advocate of whatever kind of works with those principles yeah. the best. Um, so hopefully that makes sense, all of that mess to whoever is listening. Um, but that's, and then where you actually get into the specifics of exercises, um, you know, you'll have some people that are happy about it because they're attached to a certain tool and they'll be validated by the tool that they use. Or you have some people that aren't happy about it because they're attached to another tool. And I'm saying, well, maybe that's not the best tool in this case. I always joke within the bodybuilding world as well, too. I think even more than the other realms, people are very emotionally attached to what's always worked. Yeah. And I think one of the funny things now is people kind of, you know, if I put a band on something, or use a cable where it's not traditional people lose their mind say you're trying to reinvent the wheel this same group of people will like worship and love old school equipment you know so they'll glorify nautilus equipment and things like that you know everyone knows if oh if you can find the nautilus pullover that dorian yates used that's the holy grail of lad equipment and i'll be like okay well you know they might be attached to it because someone else used it that seemed cool or they might use it and it feels great yeah. And I'm like, okay, well, just so you know, the reason that old school equipment feels great, that Nautilus stuff, the Cybex stuff, the Icarian stuff, is it had great profiles. I literally don't think there's been too many, with rare exception, uh, companies past the 90s that have actually designed equipment with good profiles. So, again, there will be these things where all oh, this old school equipment is the best. And I'll be like, well, that old school equipment is the best because they actually had people that were qualified uh, in mechanics and engineers design it to match what your body can do. That's the whole principle behind Arthur Jones designing the, the Nautilus stuff in the first place. And uh, that's based on nerd stuff and nerd principles. And just because it kind of got left in that time period, people now say, oh, the old school stuff is great and better, which I would agree with. But it's because of the principles that they were built upon, not necessarily you know, because it was used predominantly in the 80s and the 90s, mm -hmm. which everybody thinks is everything back then was better, right? I think that was brilliantly put, and um, I didn't. I was trying to think of a way to make it less nerdy and give it to the audience in a way that they might understand a little bit more. And I didn't. I wasn't sure whether you'd agree that if you were, say, going through a routine and you were maybe utilizing mm -hmm. certain movements, some machines, yeah. do you would you say if you're going in there and you're feeling that they feel good and you're getting good responses from them, would you say that's probably a good one to go with? And the exercise profile is probably one that's good for you. Um, you know, it's, it's going to be a yes and no. It's going to be the answer that every coach defaults to. It depends. Um, and the only reason I say that, so first and foremost, 
To a degree, yes. So that's kind of stuff that I obviously, uh, kind of like I said on the first session, I'll go with somebody when I'm actually working with. I want to know what they're doing already, what they like and what they don't like. And what might end up happening is we'll take half of, we'll find out why they like something or why something feels good. And it might entirely be a great fit. I'm like, okay, well, this is great. Or it might be because part of something is a good fit. You know, meaning the things about that, the only things I have about that is, you know, something not having a perfect profile isn't the end of the world. So again, it's not something I'm emotionally attached to where people will say, you know, for lats, a barbell row has a horrible profile. And it's like, that's blasphemy in the bodybuilding world to say that. That doesn't mean you can't grow muscles with a barbell row. It means for someone, it might be an inefficient stimulus at some point in time, right. where if you want to take it a step further, you might want to be more efficient with your exercise selection. Obviously, with someone that's got good capacity to grow muscle, Maybe it has great alignment. All the other things are great about it for them, Dorian Yates. It was uh, it was efficient enough and good enough exercise for them to grow the amount of muscle that they did. And that's not saying that's – it's just an observation. It's a bad profile. And in every way, shape, or form, you can draw that on a piece of paper to say it's about as bad of a profile as you can get. Um, so even if something – I'll leave people all the time with exercises that are less than ideal profiles um, if everything else is good. And everything else is generally meaning you can have a good amount of force production. Um, so, again, it's not – Things that grow muscle are generally not unstable. You know, it's not going to be wobbly surfaces. It's not going to require you for your whole body to stabilize. This is why Olympic lifting will never be a great thing for bodybuilding is there's so much stuff going on. It's, it's literally an athlete. That's why it's in the Olympics. It's an athletic. It's a sport in and of itself. It's never going to have enough acute force or tension anywhere for someone to grow a lot of muscle just from that. So I generally the, the three things that I tend to build good exercises around is is alignment, and that's kind of is it orthopedically th friendly? Is it aligned well with the joint? Um, does it have a decent profile, and does it have good bracing? And bracing really comes back to force production. The simple one I give on that one is imagine how efficient a leg press would be if it didn't have the back. So there's you literally had to hold yourself in there with the handles and your hip flexors. It's in your abs. It's probably not going to be the benefit of the exercise that you have, and that's the most obvious. Example of that, but people get people don't understand that principle and they'll get confused about why I say, well, this is more important. If or this is why this exercise is better lying down or seated or whatever it is, it's the exact same principle applied to something else. So most of the time in real life in the gym, not everybody has perfect equipment or maybe you just don't like an exercise or you get pissed off if it takes you to set up something for 10 minutes. All the same things I understand. If you need a two out of three, it's probably a good exercise, yeah. you know, so that happens a lot. So to answer your question. Um, lots of times someone's perception, uh, and if it feels pretty good and if it, if it does produce results for the most part, stick with it. The only two reasons I'd say be wary of that is one orthopedic issues in the gym, especially in the bodybuilding world don't occur overnight. So it's subtle misalignment applied three times a week for how many sets over a decade that they start to show up, you know? So it's, again, people will, you know, they blame load, they blame all sorts of other stuff. And it's not in my opinion, it's, it's the accumulation of volume over a period of time, slightly misapplied. So even if it feels good now, I mean, I, I had the same people telling me stuff. I, 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 when I say that I found out for most guys, you know, skull crushers aren't the best exercise just from a sheer alignment standpoint, you know, if you weigh more than 120 pounds, it's pretty rare that skull crushers with a barbell actually aligns well with you. And I've done, <laughs> I did skull crushers religiously for 10 years, like log booking, progressive overload, all the stuff you had to do. And at the time it felt fine. And I literally remember having people that were 10 years older than me like, just wait. And I was like, they don't know what I'm talking about. My form's pretty, I've got it controlled. And it just didn't align and that shit caught up with me, same as it will for a lot of people. So that's the only reason is one, even if it feels good now, 
it might not uh, accumulate to something that feels good down the road. And then two, it's the same thing. It's, it's, it, if it produces results now is great, but potentially up to what point? Um, where again, it comes to the point where just because something works now doesn't mean it will work five or mm -hmm. 10 years from now. And that's not a bad thing. That's not a bad place to be now. So like you yep. said, if people are going in and they're making decisions based off a pretty good idea of what feels well, it may be good to produce results now, just as long as they've got an open mind to what feels well, I might need to advance or progress that at some point in time, the same as everything else. And then the only other asterisk I'll give to that as well too, and this is unfortunately whenever you're a trainer or a coach, uh, this is overall a bad thing, but it's a reality of coaching is you're essentially imposing your will upon people, which is imposing your ego upon people, which again, done the right way can be good or bad. So sometimes someone's perception, I mean, if I've got an 18 or 20 year old and they really think this thing's great, I might be able to tell them based on the fact that I've trained more 18 or 20 year olds, I've got more experience than they do training themselves as an 18 or 20 year old that, okay, well, I, I completely understand where you're coming from this and that, blah, blah, blah. But I, w I would highly recommend you go this route. And uh, so it's, it's someone's perception may not be as experienced as a good coach's perception, which again is, that's a gray area. So someone's going to be like, you know, I really, at the end of the day, you don't know uh, something occurring within somebody internally a hundred percent. Well, maybe like they do, but there is a certain point where obviously coaching thousands of bodies, you pick up something that even that individual training their own body doesn't have. And that's why everybody can have a coach to some degree in my opinion. Mm -hmm. So who well, no, really well answered. And I think it, it really highlights again, the type of person you tend to work with is more advanced. They've got to that point where they need to kind of really take care of the volume they're doing, make sure they're using yeah. exercises that are going to work the best for them. So these are maybe some more advanced principles that people want some awareness of if they're not quite that advanced. I think a lot of our listeners are kind of probably getting to that stage where this sort of thing will probably matter for them. Uh, but right yeah. now it might not be something that they need to be like really obsessive about. So I really like yeah. that you've kind of yeah, introduced this on a mass level and getting people thinking about these things. And it's quite cool sometimes to watch the different variants that you can play with and utilize. And um, I guess it's just whether or not you have the, the ability to do it in your gym. Do you ever run into issues kind of with people you're coaching? I guess a lot of the people you're coaching are one-on-one, so you have the ability mm -hmm. to kind of play with things. Um, do you yeah. ever find other people online are kind of like, I'd love to do it, but I just have no ability to hook this up or do you have any ways to get around that? Yeah, it's tough. Um, I mean, to be honest, so, you know, you look at who do you have the most experience with. I've been training my wife on and off for near 15 years. And again, there's a rare time that, you know, anytime you use a population of one as your reference is not a good thing if that's your only thing. Mm -hmm. uh, but obviously, like even the thousands of people I've worked with or trained, I don't, I don't get to follow them home. I don't get to see the rest of their life stress. So one, the same way it's, I can use myself as part of, you know, my, my reasoning behind things that I do. It's even if it's a small part, it's nice when I have an individual that's kind of about as close as I can get to myself. And the only reason I bring that up is I've trained her in gyms that I've trained up in the past, uh, since having three kids and stuff the past year or so, the vast majority of her workouts have been in our garage. I literally cool. kind of have a little gym that I put together there which is basically a power rack, some dumbbells, barbell, and then a couple little one-off things here and there. Um, so it's one of those things I always say myself as well too. Now again, at the end of the day, you know, I might get off on tangents. Well, I probably get off on tangents every day in almost every post with random things when I expand over into talking about kids or wife or life or things like that, that I just can't help myself because I think it's more important. Um, but as a coach, I mean, I tend to speak about hypertrophy because I'm the hypertrophy coach. 
Um, but I think as a coach, first and foremost, the most important job of any coach of any modality anywhere is uh, managing expectations. You know, if you do this thing, what's going to be the outcome? And the thing that people have to understand from myself, and this is my, I say it's my advantage, um, is uh, I, that's my only thing that I really feel emotionally attached to. If I'm doing a good job as a coach, I'm managing expectations. And for saying that is I will occasionally, uh, depending on how important my goal is or whatever, I'll do dumb stuff just because I like it. There's been times when I've been in gyms or whatever, and I'll do some competitive event or competitive sport, or I'll go through a phase of, phase of doing some powerlifting stuff. And uh, I'll be like, or, or I'll do an exercise that doesn't fit. Like there'll be still be times that I've gone back and done flat barbell bench press, which really doesn't fit me. Well, like I'm a man with testosterone and I feel the need to do it sometimes. And uh, so there's always, that's just a degree of living. It's like owning a motorcycle. Is it on paper the perfect idea if your goal is to live to be 120? Maybe not. It's like running with scissors. I, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> so this kind of gets into, this kind of gets into other areas of life. How much is it solely you're doing something for the task at hand for this very, very specific outcome? which maybe if your goal is to be Mr. Olympia, you don't get a whole lot of deviation in your training as someone else, but anyone else, I don't care. Like people will kind of like, people kind of tell me like they're telling on themselves like, okay, well, uh, just so you know, I've been doing this exercise or that exercise. And I'll be like, okay. Like, and they're like, well, I know you think this exercise is better and more efficient. I'm like, well, do you like that exercise? Is it fun? You know, then have at it. I think that at the end of the day, we're not training robots. We're training people. Yep. And, you know, emotional enjoyment and things that you like are massively important. That's the reason I can speak to. I've been training so consistently since day one is if there's ever something with rare exception. I mean, I might hate dieting, you know, the last four weeks for a show is one of the only times I feel like I have, you know, a degree of dysfunction. But obviously that hate is for a bigger picture and it's short term. I wouldn't do anything I hate for a long period of time. Um, so I think that's massive for everyone is, um, you know, there's this idea of if I'm going to give you information wouldn't you want to know at least what's the ideal? I do the same thing if I go consult with something about someone that I find un something I find uninteresting. Maybe it's about supplementation or blood work or whatever. I do want to know the ideal, and then I might find out if I'm unwilling to do that for who knows whatever reason. I might do something kind of in between. So it's the same for everybody else. There's a million times where well, this is the only equipment I've got, or this is the only thing that I do, and I'll say, hey, this is this is still really great. Again, yeah. I can I can name as many examples as someone else. Uh, that did an exercise that technically is less than optimal, but produced amazing results, relatively speaking. Um, so again, yeah, I've, I, I'm going to present information that I think is truly the best because I mean, that's, I'm speaking to everyone when I'm kind of presenting that stuff, but on an individual basis, I mean, everything's potentially out the window again, depending on, you know, as long as you know the outcome from that thing, um, you know, that's what I'm saying. Okay. Well, if you want to do that just for your own knowledge, here's what may or may not happen. You're a grown up. Go ahead and decide for yourself. And that's that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I have a lot of less than optimal stuff that my wife has in her programming all the time, um, but still enough for any normal person to get in great shape. The only one that I'll kind of have a little bit of an asterisk on for that is is something that doesn't align well, something that's not joint friendly. Right. If you really are choosing to do a lot of that, you're, you're going to pay the price. And I say a lot of competitive powerlifters know this more than anything. Because they're one of the few populations that has to do an exercise as their sport. And there's just no way about it. There's very few people that, you know, bench press, squat, and deadlift just fit them great, all three of them. Um, and that's why you tend to have so many injuries and issues in that sport. Again, it's not, in my opinion, because of the load. Everyone blames the load. Oh, I lifted too long. I lifted too heavy, blah, 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 blah. No, it's because they've been forced to do movements that they may know 
themselves, they don't fit well over and over and over and over for decades. So that's one of those exceptions. And most of them know it. I mean, it's not, yeah. if you're a power lifter and you're good and you're 20 year old and you talk to a 30 year old or a 40 year old or a 50 year old or a 60 year old that was in the same spot that you were, that was 20, you know where you're going to end up. There's no mystery about it. I love uh, Dave Tate just wrote something really great on that. I like everything that Dave Tate writes at uh, lead up to yes. And, um, he, uh, he wrote an article like that being saying he's, he knows exactly what, here's what was in my mind when I was in my twenties, here's where I was the thirties and forties and now in his fifties. And he's like, but I'm going to be the last person on the planet that's going to deter someone in their twenties from doing the same thing that I did because of passion, because of drive, even though I know where they're going to end up the same way that I do. And that's, and again, that's the same as every single sport on the planet mm -hmm. is, you know, you have people that's, you know, should you play in the NFL because of the risk of head trauma and concussions and all that? Well, you know, if that's your passion and you can take it to a high enough level and it's worth it, have at it. Um, so, yeah, there's lots of times where things are suboptimal or not perfect or you got to work with what you've got. And honestly, I'm I'm generally less upset or emotionally attached when those things have to happen sometimes, you know, than other people. It's, it's again, it's, if you're managing expectations, you're a good coach, in my opinion. No, I think that was really well put. And it, it kind of uh, reminds me of... The flexibility that you might have with your nutrition where you can hit a calorie number like a protein number and you don't need to hit everything else perfectly nutrient timing yeah. everything ideally you might but you can still see good yeah. results like Pareto's law kind of 20% of what you do is going to produce 80% the 20% yeah. is the stuff like coaches really love and I know you're obsessed yeah. about uh, but that 80% yeah. can be a bit much for people so no brilliant yeah. put I, I love having this chat with you Joe and I want to make sure people can reach out to you learn more about kind of everything that you do I know you have your own membership site and loads of videos over there so yeah where where is a good place to reach out to you Joe um, yes, I mean, on Instagram, I've got a, you know, hypertrophy coach is the handle um, and it's spelled hypertrophy coach. Pretty easy. Um, and uh, so, yeah, that's where I honestly, it's my main outlet of social media. So I always say, see if I see if I'm your, your cup of tea, look on there first. Uh, and that's kind of it is. I mean, at the end of the day, uh, as a coach, you know, it's funny as soon as coaches reach a point where they have exposure to a lot more people, some people there, there's all, I mean, there's people that'll be negative about everything. So this is just human nature, but it's like, Oh, like now you have a membership site you're selling, or you've got this that you're selling or coaching that you're selling. And I was like, I sold coaching when I was 20 years old and I was a horrible coach. It was in the form of one-on-one, -on -one, which ultimately you're paying for someone's brain. And then you're just paying for different forms of your brain. So I think it's silly when I'll get some people are weird, but Oh, you're just pushing your membership site or whatever. I was like, I've always been selling my brain. <laughs> this is just a different format of that product. Uh, so I say that because one, I genuinely really like social media. I like trying to put out stuff that I think is useful, valuable information. I know within 100% reality, the vast majority of people that will ever follow my stuff or look at my stuff will never purchase anything from me. And that's great. I mean, if, if you're following or reading some of my stuff and you take something away from it, like that's the point of social media, right? It's like, hopefully, you know, it should be educational or it should be entertaining or it should be inspiring. And I try and kind of have all three of those to a certain degree. And then you'll find it's the same as anybody else, the same reason someone would want to pay for me when I was just working in the gym floor and had a conversation with a member on the floor and they got exposure to my brain for 30 minutes. Like, oh, I'd like to give this guy some more money, you know, for him to train me one-on-one. -on -one. I mean, I still have a couple people that I train one-on-one -on -one, and then some people want to pay for my brain, um, you know, which is the website. So I have hypertrophycoach.com, which is basically just access to my brain. It, it's mm -hmm. kind of built around workouts and workouts that I use myself and clients um, and then there's obviously concepts and then things that expand from there even more than obviously we discuss here. And that's, in my opinion, that's the beauty of it is I can, 
um, give people varying degrees of help depending on what they're looking for. Everything from just for whatever free stuff I've got put out uh, to one on one, you know, with a couple of people that I still do that. Uh, yeah. So if somebody wants to reach out to me, I actually respond to the email that's in my hypertrophy coach. Um, and again, the website, hypertrophycoach.com. Um, I'm starting one of my goals, goals from 2019 is just to get another good avenue for information. So I have, uh, some YouTube stuff. I've done that on and off. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just at the end of the day, it's, you know, just trying to be efficient with your time. And so I think I'm at a point where I can efficiently have good content on Instagram. I can efficiently have good content on my site and efficiently have good content now on YouTube as well, too. Um, so anyway, those are the places you can check me out. And, um, you know, if you've got questions, shoot me an email and, uh, Otherwise, like I said, enjoy the free stuff if that's it. Or you might follow and be like, I do not like this guy at all. And that's cool too. <laughs> In which case, don't join my website because you'll be very disappointed. <laughs> um, yeah, and that's that's it, man. So Fantastic. Yeah, I'm, I'll make sure that's all linked below. And I know you've already got some Thanks. cool videos over on your YouTube in terms of like talking about these strength profiles, like quad movements and things like this that were really interesting yeah. as well. So I definitely would refer people to that if they want to learn more. And uh, maybe we'll have to drag you back on the show. We'll have to see if we get a good response. I'm absolutely yeah. sure we will. <laughs> Yeah, if anybody likes it, yeah, I'm I'm more than happy to come back on. I appreciate you having me. Amazing. Cheers, guys, for listening, and we will catch you soon.